Today we're going to read the first nine verses of Acts chapter 1. Acts was written by Luke, the same person that wrote the book of Luke. And I, I point that out, you'll see, because he talks about that in this first verse. Let's start with Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Let's pray. Father, today these words that, that Luke recorded are just as real and powerful as they were when he, he originally wrote them down, Lord. These words that Jesus gave his disciples speak to us through the ages. And today I pray that we would take them and, and get the message that you have for us. Let us hear what you want us to hear today, this time and this place, Lord, for these people. Let us know your word and, and let us understand it and let us act on it, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the last week of our Easter postscript series. We started two weeks ago, and if you were here two weeks ago, you remember Ryan Mobley spoke. He did a great job, and he, he talked to us about an encounter that Jesus had the day of his resurrection. It was later that day. And Jesus had an encounter with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's a town about, they, they think it was about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And in their conversation with him, now understand, they didn't realize it was him when they were talking to him. But in their conversation, they were telling him about what had happened over the past three days, about the, 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 the arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion of Jesus. And in the course of that conversation, this is what they said in Luke 24, 24, 21. It says, but we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now, they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. And because he was Messiah, they thought that he was going to redeem Israel and establish his physical kingdom on earth in Jerusalem. Now, obviously, his arrest, his trial, and his execution had shattered that expectations. And now, rumors that he was alive were swirling about as well. So, Jesus explained to these two disciples, and later back in Jerusalem to the remaining 11. Of course, Judas Iscariot was no longer a, a part of the group. Explained to them how everything that had happened over those past three days had to happen to fulfill Scripture. And they got it. They really did. They understood it. In fact, it says, talking about that, that the second occurrence when he went back to Jerusalem, further in that chapter, chapter 24, verse 45, it says, and he opened their understanding 
that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Now, can you imagine Jesus, whom the writer John called the Word, is going to open your mind to understand the Scripture? You're going to get it, aren't you? Yeah, you're going to get it. You're going to understand it. And yet, um, in Acts, the first chapter, we find the disciples asking Jesus if he was now going to establish his kingdom. See, they understood that Jesus had to die and rise again. He had explained that to them, and they got it. They really did. They got it. So, since that was done, now fulfill the king or establish the kingdom, right? Well, it was a valid question because if you remember this verse, we, these verses we just read from Acts, it says that during those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, it says he talked to them many times about his kingdom. So this was on their mind. The kingdom of God was on their mind. So it, it makes sense that they would ask them that. Um, but they were missing something. They were missing something huge. What they were missing is they had no concept of the coming church age. There was an entire age of history that they had no idea of. They didn't fully comprehend the task before them to take the gospel to the entire world. And even after Jesus explained it to them, they certainly didn't understand the scope, and they didn't understand how long it was going to take. You know, it seems like when, when you read the New Testament authors, you read Paul and, and some of the other writers of the epistles, it seems as if they and the church leaders and maybe many in the church kind of thought that Jesus was probably going to return in their lifetime. And you know, there's not a lot wrong with that because if you read Jesus' teaching on his return and you read the parables he told, for example, the, the, the ten virgins who are, who are waiting for the bridegroom and preparing their lamps, and there's this, this, this notion when Jesus is teaching that we should all feel that his return is imminent. Because it affects how we live. It affects how we reach out to others. It affects how we minister and how we witness. So I think Jesus wanted them to feel that his return could be imminent or was imminent. But what do you think these early first century Christians would have thought if they had known over 2,000 years later we're still waiting? Yeah, I wonder what they would think. See, Jesus laid out a big job for them. He said first... They were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, can you imagine how overwhelming that is, right? Jerusalem, check. Okay, we can do that. We're all here. Judea, check. We can do that. Samaria, uh, we don't really like those people. <laughs> Jews didn't like the Samaritans, but okay, check. We can do that. To the ends of the earth, okay, how... Yeah, okay, how's that going to work? See, Jesus had taught them over a period of three and a half years that he was going to establish his church. But this was really something totally new. And lest we be too critical of the disciples maybe not getting it, understand we have the, we have the benefit of looking through the lens of history. And, and they had no similar frame of reference. For example, think about this. They had no idea that if they were to travel west to the end of the world, what we now call Portugal, and look out into that ocean and get on a ship 
and sail into uncharted seas for months, three, four, five months, that they would land on a continent that they didn't even know existed. And then if they traveled another, oh, about 1,000 miles inland, they would come to a place that 1,800 years later would be called Springfield, Illinois. Yeah, look around. We are the ends of the earth to these first century disciples. They had no way of knowing that, no way of comprehending that. So even think how, how overwhelming it would be today if there was some new thing and we were charged for making that known to the ends of the earth. And we have ways of mass communication and the internet and the ability to have things go viral and we have travel. I mean, we can, we can, be, we can be anywhere in a small amount of time and yet it's overwhelming for us. So think about what it meant to a first century Christian. Matthew gives us some more details. In Matthew, the 28th chapter, the 18th verse, we know this as the Great Commission. Most of us who, um, most, most of us know this as the Great Commission. And this is what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, here Jesus gives his followers the commission to make disciples of all nations. And how are they to do this? Two things. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything he had commanded them. So these are the two aspects that they were and that we are also to use to make disciples. Baptism, and that represents conversion, and teaching, and we're going to call that equipping this morning. Let's take a look at them. The first, baptizing. The first step in making a disciple is to lead someone to a decision for Christ, to follow Christ. And this is what baptism represents. Now, at Calvary Church, we believe very, very strongly that we are to obey both Jesus' example and Jesus' command to be baptized. Um, a couple months ago, in our series on Wednesday night called What We Believe, we talked about this. And I would, I would encourage you, those recordings, um, service recordings are on our website. I would encourage you to go listen to the one on the ordinance of the church talks about this. We believe that when we accept Jesus' salvation by faith, that we identify with him and begin to share in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And we publicly demonstrate that through baptism. The conversion or the decision to follow Christ comes first. And then comes baptism. In other words, we believe that we are not saved because we're baptized, we believe we're baptized because we're saved. And that's what we were first commissioned to do here in Jesus' commission. Great commission to lead people to accept Jesus' salvation and then baptize them as a public demonstration of that commitment. So, how do we do that? Well, let's go back to to what we started this, this, this message off today with, what Jesus told the disciples in Acts, the first chapter, about being his witnesses. What is a witness? Well, a witness tells what he or she knows. That's what a witness does. So, tell people what you know about Christ. 
The most effective way to convince people to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior is to be a witness concerning him. You need to be prepared to tell people what you personally know about Jesus and his salvation. Tell them how he saved you and changed your life. And don't worry whether or not you know enough Bible to answer any question they're going to throw at you. Because I'm going to tell you something. No matter how much you study the Bible for how many years, they're going to throw some question at you that you won't know. So just wipe that excuse off the board right now. Um, there is something that you should be prepared to do. And in business, you've heard this phrase, maybe they call it the elevator pitch. You know what the elevator pitch is? Is if you have an idea um, for a product or a process or a concept or something, you have to have a short presentation that you can deliver in the amount of time it takes to take an average ride on an elevator maybe 30 seconds to, to, to two minutes. And the scenario is that you get on the elevator with somebody really important, you know, vice president, a manager, a CEO, and I want to tell them my idea. And the door closes and you're in a little six-foot-by-six-foot room and you've got them cornered. How are you going to do that in the amount of time that you, you're on that elevator? Now, if it works out well... When the elevator rides over, that conversation is going to go on or you're going to exchange business cards or set up a meeting and get back together. But the key to the elevator pitch is that you have to prepare it ahead of time and you have to practice it. You don't want to miss some big opportunity that's dropped in your lap because you weren't ready. Now, I didn't share this in the first service, but <laughs> a funny story. How many Cub fans? World champion fans. I should have said that. How many world champion fans? Um, several years ago, I was down in St. Louis for a conference at, at one of the downtown hotels. And um, I'd been in the, the, these classes, and I stepped out to go down to get some coffee down in the, in the lobby. And I, I ride the elevator down and um, get my coffee. And I was only going back up to the mezzanine. Those of you, you know, that's the second floor. I was only going back up to the second floor. So I get in the elevator hold my coffee. I'm kind of looking down like this, and someone walks in, and I see white shoes and polyester pants. And I look up, and Harry Carey is standing right here. And Harry Carey gets on the elevator with me and kind of nods. And I'm thinking, okay, don't be one of those weird fans and be all goofy and say something stupid. And, and while I was thinking about not saying anything stupid, I got to the second floor, and I got off, and I didn't say anything. I thought, oh, Someone kind of famous, and I, uh, it, it happened so fast I wasn't ready. Well, I don't have an elevator pitch for Harry Carey. I don't. But we got to have an elevator pitch for our story about Christ. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Think about your elevator pitch. you got 30 seconds to two minutes. You tell someone about Christ, what he's done for you. Not someone else's story, but your story figure out what that is and practice it and be ready to, to, to do it at the drop of a hat. But understand this. You need more than your witness to lead people to Christ. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The structure of this, state, of this statement implies, one, the Holy Spirit comes on you, Two, you receive power. And three, you will be his witnesses. 
The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings so much to our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, marvelous things. And if that fruit grows in your life, man, it's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's great. The gifts of the Spirit include wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, healing. These supernatural aspects of the Spirit are just powerful and life-changing. And the Spirit guides us into all truth. It leads us. The Spirit reveals the deep things of God. I could go on and on. I read one list. I read one list that had 20 discrete things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. I'm sorry, 50. 50 discrete things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. But reading Jesus' statement in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it seems as if maybe one of the most important or maybe even the primary purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to give us this power to be his witnesses. And this should give us so much confidence when we do it. It really should. We don't have to depend on our own cleverness or intelligence or articulateness or power of persuasion or anything. And speaking for myself, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. The power of the Holy Spirit makes us Jesus' witnesses. And, and, and look at this. Look at this. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Not you have the opportunity to be my witnesses. You might be my witnesses if you get around to it. He says when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. That's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so to be a powerful witness to Christ... You have to be baptized in the Spirit. Exactly what Jesus was telling him, telling them in this passage. You must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let's move on to the second part of, of Jesus' great commission, teaching. The other thing Jesus said we need to do in making disciples is teach them to obey all things that he has commanded. It's not enough to simply lead someone to Christ and baptize them. That's only the start. We need to teach them to obey the teachings of Jesus and his word, the Bible. Making a decision to be a follower of Christ or a disciple is a single, discrete event. Now, most of us, probably, probably almost all of us, can remember when that event happened, right? You can, you can remember maybe being in a church service uh, maybe being in a youth group, maybe being at home with your parents, or, or maybe in college in a dorm room talking to your friends. But you can, you can remember some event, some discrete event where you decided, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow Christ. However, the second part, learning to obey his commands is a lifelong process. God's word the teachings of Christ and God's Word are so rich, so amazing, so full of wisdom and knowledge and life that we really can spend a lifetime learning and growing and becoming more and more like Jesus. It's a lifetime thing. And, you know, I've used the term disciple. I probably should have explained it earlier. Let me explain what disciple actually is. Followers of someone or of an ideology are called disciples. Disciples of Christ are called Christians. 
In Acts 11.26, it says the disciples were called Christians at Antioch first. Now, this is what I, I guess I want to make clear here. By definition, all Christians are disciples. Okay? A disciple is not a second-stage Christian. It's not Christian 2.0. That's not what it is. There are people that would want to say that maybe first you become a convert, and then you become a disciple. It's simply not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. You may be a new disciple, and you're still growing, but you're still a disciple. All Christians are disciples. Because making disciples doesn't stop with conversion. Theologian and pastor John Piper distills Jesus' great commission down into these very simple terms. And I, love, I, I just love this. People need to become Christians, and people need to be taught how to think and feel and act as a Christian. That's it, right? I mean, it's simple, but that's really it. And, and think about this. Just because we become a Christian doesn't mean that we know how to be a Christian. Let that sink in. Just because we become a Christian doesn't mean we know how to be a Christian. It's the responsibility of disciples to teach other disciples how to think and feel and act as a Christian. So in January of this year, we started a, a new strategy at Calvary that we call Equip. And what I'm talking about today is exactly what Equip is all about. This process of leading people to become Christians and then teaching them to obey the things Jesus commanded, to think and feel and act as a Christian. And our purpose for Equip is this. And those of you who, who, who come on Wednesday night are probably sick and tired of hearing me say this because I'm kind of the Equip evangelist around here. This is our purpose. We are called to help all people become mature followers of Christ. That's it. We are called to help all people become mature followers of Christ. And here's the thing about this. Our very culture has to be about this. This has to be what we are all about. We need to create an environment of equipping believers, inspiring people to want to pursue Christ, and then provide the tools for them to do so. Equip is our strategy for making it happen. Starting point is part of that strategy. Sonia talked about starting point this morning. Um, today, we had st there's starting point going on right now every, every week, except next week, Mother's Day. Not doing it Mother's Day. But every week in the Welcome Center, first through fourth Sundays of the month, starting point takes place at 1030. And it's part of that strategy. Our Wednesday night series on what we believe is a part of this strategy. And we intend to develop more and more opportunities as we, as we flesh out and develop Equip. The scope of our strategy for Equip can be distilled down to three words. And this is real easy because they rhyme too. Very easy to remember. First word, no. Not N-O, K-N-O-W. No. People must know Christ. 
The first aspect is to call those who are not yet followers of Christ to salvation. This is evangelism, both personal and corporate evangelism. Step one of starting point, which incidentally is taking place right now, in, in, like I said, in the Welcome Center, it's week one. This is step one, week one of the month. Step one is taking place. It's actually called Know God, and it covers our fundamental beliefs about how Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to the Father and make us sons and daughters of God. That's what it's all about. Second aspect, grow. We all need to grow as believers. The second aspect is to provide opportunities for teaching and equipping Christians. And, and I want to point this out. Regardless of your maturity level in Christ, I don't care if you've been a Christian for two days or two decades, we all should be given opportunities, and we should all take advantage of opportunities to continue to learn and to grow. You're never going to get to this point where you got it all figured out, and there's no more. I, I think if you ever got to that point, God would just take you on up to heaven, and we wouldn't be able to see you anymore. So here's our, model, our motto concerning this. Nobody graduates. Nobody ages out. Yeah, yeah, nobody. And finally, the third word is go. I told you these are easy, right? No, grow, go. Everyone is responsible for putting their faith into action. We don't become disciples just to keep it all to ourselves. We are all responsible. The third aspect of our strategy is to provide opportunities for and release Christians to works of service. You know, we're basing a lot of what we do with the equip on this passage from Ephesians 4 that I want to read to you right now. Ephesians 4, if you go to the 11th verse. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's us, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's what equip is all about. Helping all people become mature followers of Christ. Learning how to think and act and feel as a Christian. And it comes about through preaching, through teaching, through Bible study, through small groups, through one-on-one -on -one mentoring. In this passage, Paul says that he gives us apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And, and, and this is why. This is the purpose. First, for works of service. See, this is how the body of Christ is built up. It's not by vocational ministers, the people who get paid to do what they do, but it's by all of God's people. All of God's people doing acts of service. We're all called to this. 
Next, he says it, it, it's for the unity of the faith. It's not just talking about unity that we get along. You know, that's good, right? But unity of the faith is that unity of the faith is we are united in the faith of Jesus Christ, people with one heart, one mind, and a shared calling. And it says univer- unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. We share the doctrines of Christ. We have been taught and we are te- being taught to obey the things Christ commanded. Back to the Great Commission, right? And then Paul says it's for maturity. He writes in this passage that we become mature when we attain the whole measure, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The model then for maturity is the life of Christ himself. Wow. I'm not there yet. Back to what I said, nobody graduates, nobody ages out. That's maturity that we're pushing for. And that's why this is a lifetime process. And as we attain this goal, man, Paul paints this beautiful picture of the body of Christ. He paints a picture of stability, of people speaking the truth in love, a picture of a body of believers joined tightly together, growing together, building each other up in love, and everybody doing their part in the ministry. It's such a beautiful picture, and it's such a perfect plan. Wow, this plan that Jesus put in place is is perfect. Uh, Who's surprised, right? We'd expect nothing less. So, let me kind of summarize what I've talked about. The four Gospels tell an epic story. It talks about how Jesus Christ was born, lived, had a ministry, was killed, rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. And in the past three weeks, we've been talking about the latter part of it because it's an awesome ending, right? I mean, this story has an amazing ending. And we've been talking about the days between his resurrection and his ascension for the last three weeks. But what I want us all to remember from this series is there is still more to the story. And we are still writing it today. Before he left, Jesus gave us the promise to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said we will be his witnesses. And in doing so, we are to make disciples of all nations by baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything he commanded. And here's the thing. He didn't leave us to do this on our own. You know, he left us the power of the Holy Spirit. He said... All authority is given to me on heaven and earth. And then he gave us a command. He's got all authority. So so we can go with boldness. We can go with confidence. And then he said this, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. Folks, we're not on our own. We are empowered by the greatest power in the universe. And we've called this sermon series for the past three weeks, Easter postscript, but I guess what I'm talking about now is post-postscript. The story goes on, and I want to encourage you all to be a part of it, be a part of this story. Almost two millennia have passed since Jesus left and gave us these instructions, and only the Father knows how much longer it's going to be until he sends his son back and, and, and wraps up this, this thing that we're in the middle of. So here's what I'd like you to think about. In the meantime, we are living in a glorious church age where God has given us the power and the resources to change the hearts 
minds, and eternity of mankind. Yeah. Let's ask ourselves, all of us, included myself, ask us this question. Am I committed to seeing Jesus' final instructions on earth fulfilled? Think about that. Think about your commitment. See, I can profess to know Christ is my Savior, but if I examine my weekly schedule, does it look like I'm living for myself or living for Christ? And, and I realize that most people are not going to be ministers by vocation. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a mindset, a fundamental focus in life. Do we see ourselves primarily as servants of Jesus Christ, fully committed and obedient to his cause. The Bible teaches that there are those who are gifted to do certain things. There are those who are gifted to be evangelists, those who are gifted to be teachers. Um, We read earlier in Paul's letter to the Ephesians that, that Jesus gave them, along with the apostles and the prophets and the pastors, as gifts to us. See, but there's a difference between gifting and responsibility. I personally find myself maybe more gifted to teach than I am to evangelize. But you know what? I still have the responsibility to evangelize. I still have the responsibility to be a Holy Spirit-empowered witness to people around me. Having a gifting, being maybe more talented in one area, does not excuse us from all the responsibilities of building the church of Jesus Christ and making disciples of all people. Just because we're better at some things from others than, than others, we can't neglect the rest. And I want you to consider this. Every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. That is making a disciple. Everyone. Every Christian should be helping other believers grow to more and more maturity. That is part of making a disciple. Every Christian should be seeking to get help for themselves and from others to keep on growing, and that is our personal discipleship. Reading, going to Bible studies, going to teachings, mentoring, and finally, every church should think through how biblical disciple-making finds expression in their corporate life. That is the responsibility of every church. When you drive home today, every church that you go by, that should be their responsibility as well. So, also ask yourself this. What am I doing personally to fulfill Jesus' great commission? Not what is my church doing. What am I doing personally? And I will tell you it's going to look different for each of you. Just because one person has a certain type of witnessing and, and may be very extroverted and all in your face, you may not be like that. Maybe the way you fulfill the Great Commission is you develop friendships and you share Christ with people one-on-one in a, in a quiet setting. It could be different. But I don't want you to get your mind's idea of the evangelist and think that's what the evangelist looks like because it's going to be different for everybody. But what are you doing personally to draw people to Christ and to help them to mature in Christ? And then finally, am I truly being a spirit-empowered witness for him? Now, I want to mention one more thing. 
And this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say today. In a group of people this size, I, I know that there are probably those here who have not taken the first step to be a disciple. You may have even worshipped with Andy and the band today and praised with us today, but your heart may be far from God. Jesus said, there will be many in that day, and he's talking about the day of judgment, who are going to say they did all kinds of things in his name, but he's going to simply look at them and say, I never knew you. Today, you may have looked around at people worshiping, singing, clapping, standing, maybe even shouting, maybe tears running down their cheeks, and, and realize that they have something that you don't. And I can tell you this, they worship and praise someone they know. Their hearts are one with his. And today, everyone in this room, everyone in this room can know God as well through Jesus Christ, his son. Every one of us here is guilty of sin, everyone. We are not worthy of heaven. We're not worthy to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not worthy for any of God's blessings. We're just simply not. But it is possible to repent of our sins and be forgiven by God. And, and repent is just a churchy word that means change your mind. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to live for God. In the Bible, this is what it says. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And you can do that today. If you've never done that, you can do that today. Today can be the day that you start a new journey. Today can be the day that you become a disciple. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for this, this amazing plan that Jesus gave us to make disciples, Lord, and, and to go throughout the whole world, disciples of all nations. God, there is no boundary, there is no limit to where we can take the gospel. Lord, you have given us the ability and the power of the Holy Spirit to change the minds, the hearts, the eternities of mankind. And you've, you've established these ministries in the church to, to help us to grow and become more mature in Christ and, and to be a group of people, Lord, who speak the truth in love, who build each other up in love, Lord, who, who every part is doing what they're supposed to do. God, it's such a beautiful plan. And God, I pray that you would help us to, to, to be a part of that. Help us all to understand that as, as amazing as the stories of the gospel are, that these stories are continuing. The story continues, and let us all be a part of that story. In the name of Jesus, Father, let us seek out what it is that we should be doing to be a part of the body of Christ. And let us do it wholeheartedly, God, with everything, everything within us, everything within us. Now, I... Now, I want to tell you, if, if, if what I said just a few minutes ago resonates with you and you know you've really never made that decision to be a disciple, you can do it right now. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have everybody pray together. I'm going to pray and just repeat after me. And the reason we do this is you may be sitting here in a room full of strangers and you may not be comfortable kind of stepping out on your own or saying something out on your own. So we're going to help you out. This is what I want to say. If you really believe these words, take this as an opportunity to become a disciple. Today, to repent. To say, I'm going to change my mind. Everything changes today. 
because I'm going to tell you it's a beautiful adventure. Man. Being sons and daughters of God is a beautiful thing. It really is. So let's all, let's all pray. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I want to find what others in this room have found. I know that, like everyone here, I am guilty of sin. And like everyone in this room, I need a Savior. I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. I want to live a new life in Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Change my heart to be more like you. Fill me with your joy and peace. Help me to be all in for him who died for me. Thank you for this amazing gift. Amen. Let's give him praise. Come on. Let's celebrate.